0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Kitchen Table. I am Justin White. I'm sitting next to the talent, Josh Winter. He's back. He's returned after our substance abuse awareness podcast that I had to do solo. Um, Well,
1: I mean, you didn't have to. I'm just putting a little bit of pressure on you right now. We could have put it off for like an entire month, and you could have just waited. Uh, We could have continued our teamwork
0: together. Um, um, it was requested that we move forward. <laughs> <laughs> requested I, that we move forward. Uh,
1: I, yeah. Well, I got to take some ownership and accountability in that. Um, I had other things that I was doing at the time that prevented me from being a part of it. So you know, there was there was that side of it. I have I've got no hurt feelings that I got left behind.
0: Okay. Well, as you know, I am the DJ. You are the rapper. So I had to do double duty on the. Uh, substance abuse awareness, but I had good, good people. I'm looking forward Uh, to hearing it. Yeah. Um, We asked uh, a gentleman, a former military officer from the Army, uh, Joe Kramer, to join us and talk about um, his story, his time in the Army, um, talk to us about some leadership things and things like that. Um, Good conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. Good yeah. conversation.
1: Yeah, a great conversation. You know, and so this is actually the second West Pointer that we've had on. Um, because remember, we had Noble come on, too. He was a West Pointer. We did. Um, and, you know, and, and it's interesting, you know, both really great guys, um, but very different personalities. And yeah. so I think when we have that conversation about leadership, you know, it's good to point out that it's not this one-size-fits-all thing. You know, each person, we each have our own ability to take our strengths and, and turn them into a leadership skill.
0: Sure. Um, you know, how does that relate to being a follower as well? I mean, those different personalities and your ability to follow, cause we, we've talked about a lot, um, you know, to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes followers need to step up and be leaders. at times so how do you think those different personalities and we can just use use joe and noble as examples because they are very different personalities and how do you think that affects their followership man
1: this is awesome because we're going like a whole new direction with this leadership topic you know because you can't have leadership without followership Um, and and you know and and i'll step back to like my earlier career my earlier life I, i was grown up grown i was grown up Sure. I grew up yeah, there you <laughs> being go. told, don't be a follower. So for me, it was always this negative thing um, until, you know, I got into the military and I, you know, got into the fire service and realized the followers are the ones that are doing the work. They're the boots on the ground. They're where the rubber meets the road, um, you know, and, and for me, um, I think it's, you know, it's alignment is what it comes down to when leadership and followership are in line. And they're both headed the um, same direction. That's where kind of that power comes in. Um, but I guess to your question,
0: how do character traits play into that? Yeah, I mean, you have a noble whose personality is very big. Mm-hmm. Very big. And um, Joe's not so much, I would say, quieter. mm mm-hmm. uh, Um, a thinker. He thought a lot before he spoke um, to make sure he was using the right words and delivered the right message. Right. Where Noble um, speaks a lot Mm -hmm. and says what he says, you know, using using more words and and Mm -hmm. and a bigger personality. So how do you think those two personalities, you know, fit into followership? Obviously, both can be, you know, the quiet leader and kind of the more vocal leader. Man, that's
1: a, it's a, that's a really good question. And I would like to hear your answer to it as well. Uh, uh for me, uh, I guess I would have to say it comes down to professionalism, you know, really understanding what your role is. Um, and if you are the charismatic, um, you know, winning others over the, you're the, you're the party looking for people. It's a good one, right? Yeah. I yeah. like that. <laughs> Then, um, and if you're not the leader, you know, you have to have that professionalism to know when it's time to listen rather than speak or vice versa. If you're the, um, you know, if you're the thinker, if you're um, the strategic one, um, know that it's time to, like Joe said, follow me, you know, when it's time to use that. Um, I guess that's how I would put it. Yeah, that's,
0: that's good. That's, you know... Um. I like the way you use that. I mean, I think knowing your role mm-hmm. and being accepting of your role. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm sure there's times when um, you're in a role and you see things kind of going off the rails and that's when you need to switch from follower to leader, mm-hmm. right? And, and and that's a little bit what we talked about. Um, but knowing that role and accepting that role and, and, and be willing to, um, to fill that role to your best of ability for the success of the team. Yeah. You know, to put aside, it's not about my personality, it's about this group of people. Uh, and as they say in the military, you know, thinking more about the person to the left of you and the person to the right of you and making sure they're taken care of so um, the mission can be successful. That's great.
1: So. I want to throw out a quick example of something that I experienced on this job, Um, and this was a long time ago when I first came on. Um, Came on first day in the academy, I get put in a leadership position. Um, And I felt like I did a good job. They pulled me out of the position, put me in a followership position the next week or you know, however that rotation went. Um, And so when I stepped out of the leadership, I went into a very strict followership position. Um, so now we fast forward to the end of the academy and I was talking to, um, one of the kind of the leaders of the academy and, and they said they were disappointed in me and I'm like, well, I did the best I could. Like, like everything that I tried to do was, you know, for the good of what we were doing. And and I'm like, well, why? Um, and they said, well, we thought you were just, we thought you were going to be a really good leader and then stopped right there. And i struggled with that for a long time. And I didn't really realize what I was doing. But then after years of, you know, kind of thinking through that, what I had to come to realize is, oh, okay, at the time I felt like I was doing my job that I was assigned, Um, you Mm -hmm. know? And and, and that's always been an interesting concept for me is, Mm -hmm. you know, when do we take on that responsibility and when do we give that responsibility? Um, I think that's a, a good conversation to have sometime. Sure.
0: What would you say to this? Because we often talk about, are leaders born or are they made? Mm-hmm. Are followers born or are they made? Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Oh
1: man, I can honestly say in the years that I've been studying this, few years that I've been studying this, I don't think I've ever been asked that or even talked about that. Um, it, I mean, the answer's gotta be both. I mean, it just has to be, you know, I just don't think there's one thing, you know, even on the leadership side, um, you know, there are traits that you're born with, genetic things that are given to you that when applied right, make you a good leader. But the experiences you have throughout your lifetime is what brought you to that that decision or that point in your life. And it's got to be the same. Um, Now, which one weighs heavier, I think, for me, I think would be the question. I think that both play a role, I think that you're born with some followership skills and you're also taught them. Um, but I don't know which one, like my gut goes, and you might be born with, you know, this sense of um, followership. Um, Cause I don't know as a society if we really teach followership that well. And we've talked about yeah. that. We said, we need to get, we need, somebody needs to make a followership class.
0: Yeah. And we, you know, we invest a lot, um, our society invests a lot in training people in leadership, Mm -hmm. but I don't know how much money you can make by saying, we're going to teach you how to be a great follower, right? You know, and in doing that, making you a great leader, right? You know, so I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, I think followership, uh, it's probably both. I mean, there's some people that, you know, wanna be the lead guitarist and there's some people that wanna just be the rhythm guitarist. Yeah. You know, and there's somebody that wants to be, you know, the lead singer and there's people that wanna be the drummer.
1: Yeah. right. You know, it's, I would almost guess it if you put percentages to it, that more people out there might wanna be followers. And I don't know that to be fact, um, you know, but leadership is hard. You know, it's a lot of hard work and um, followership is easier if that's the right word i mean it's it's go with the flow right and as a society as human beings i think i think we're kind of genetically trained to take the path of least resistance and followership could be considered that depending on how you're looking at it
0: followership is easy right up until you disagree with the leader <laughs> <laughs> and then it gets real hard oh, is there a name
1: for that is that what no, called know. is that called insubordination
0: I or is know. that no called, i mean uh, I, I think insubordination's the act it's you know again we don't we don't teach you how to be a follower so what do you do yeah. when you're having issues with your leader i mean you know a um, difficult conversation right yeah like the courageous conversations and so um you know we talk about youth sports a lot and in, 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 um, how in youth sports and how parents now do everything for their kids, mm-hmm. right? And so something's going wrong in the youth sports team. They're not getting enough playing time. They should, you know, they should be the quarterback, you know. They want to be uh, – you should be the linebacker, or, you know, whatever the star player is. And so the parent goes and talks to the coach. But what the parent doesn't do is ask the kid, you know, mm-hmm. are you happy, mm-hmm. you know, or are you happy being what you're doing? Cause nine times out of 10, the kid probably go, yeah, this is great. This is yeah. awesome. But the parent has this expectation. Well, you should want to be the quarterback Yeah. and I'm going to go talk to the coach for you instead of going, if you're unhappy with your playing time and you're unhappy with the position and you want to do some other things, child, you need to go talk to your coach. Yeah. You know, just so we're we're taking away that opportunity to say, hey, being a good follower. But when you don't like the leadership, go have a conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, go. And and I'm sure the coach would appreciate it or the leader would appreciate it. I know, you know, when we do, you know, our our morning scrum or we, you know, every Tuesday or we do our evals. Like that's one question that I want to know. Like, what can I do better? Am I putting up obstacles for you that I don't even know I'm putting up? Yeah, we always talk about them after you leave the room. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you just tear them down and then you don't
1: worry about it. Uh, um. No, you know, I think uh, to your point, um, you know, and I, uh, I've made the mistake of, and I don't know if it's a mistake, but I've said this, you know, kind of about our job is, you know, leadership has changed over the years. And I think what I'm really trying to say is, people have changed, generations have changed, right? Um, And so 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that wasn't appropriate, it wasn't acceptable maybe to go up to your boss and go, I don't like the way that you're talking to me, I don't like the way you're treating me, I don't like your leadership style. Um, You know, where today things are changing, you know, especially if you look at the concept of servant leadership and um, the leaders out there trying to give the employee, the subordinate, everything that they can to be successful. Well, that's a relationship and it takes communication. And if I'm your subordinate and if I don't tell you the things that I need to know, it's not your job to like magically make them up and have them appear, right? Mm -hmm. So I think some of the things that that I've said is, um, you know me trying to understand the evolution of our job um, and so and I think that's more of a generational thing than a fire department thing
0: we're not going to start talking about the generational thing are we
1: no not today we'll, we'll, that'll go on forever yeah like you want to no okay good
0: I'm so tired of it okay I keep saying that on this podcast I'm so tired of talking about yeah the generational do you thing. think we're past it I mean, no, I don't. No, I don't. I just simply think that, you know, the, the kids today are exactly what we taught them to be. Mm-hmm. And so when we're complaining about the generation, yeah, we're complaining about ourselves. Yeah. And so we need to look in the mirror and go, hey, this is this is how we taught them. And this is what our expectation was for them. Um, we're doing more now for our kids than we've ever done before and not letting them learn by their mistakes. Yeah. Uh, we want them to ask why we want them to go and enjoy life, you know, find a job where you can do what you want to do and yeah. be independent. And, and when they do it now, we're mad at them <laughs> and it, and it yeah. drives me crazy. And I died. I've just, I, it is what it is.
1: Yeah. And it, I guess to me, I'm, I'm past it as well, but I look at it more of it's acceptable difference. You know, it's, you know, the my kids are not going to be the same as who we are, and their kids are not going to be the same as them. And you know, and on our, our job, the reason why I said I think, or I guess, why I asked the question, are we past the generational thing? Is because the younger generation that we were talking about outnumbers us on the job, and there's power in numbers. Yeah. You know, so that is becoming the new norm. You know,
0: well, that's I guess is incumbent to get out of this generational conversation that I said I didn't <laughs> want to talk about. Anyway, um, it's incumbent on us as leaders to adapt to that, not simply complain about it and say, uh, you know, oh, kids today, it's, you know, what is it that we can do to help them be successful? Because at some point, they're going to be the leaders of this organization. Yes. Yep. So if we don't teach them, you know, how to build those relationships, how to have those conversations, mm-hmm. um, they're going to get Um, they're going to get into positions of leadership and not be as successful as they could be and then again I I will look right back at ourselves because they're exactly what we taught them to be and so rather than um, teach them how to be good leaders teach them how to be good followers um, maybe we expected too much maybe we forget what who taught us and Mm -hmm. how we learned and and how we got our experience Um, So maybe cut him a break a little bit. That's a good idea. You did a great coach and mentor him instead of, you know, being mad at him all the time. Yeah. You did a great job not talking about generations. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let's go on to the interview. Okay. Um, Again, this is a a gentleman I had heard on the hockey think tank, the hockey guys we had on a few weeks ago, a couple months ago. Um, He has a connection with Fort Carson that I kind of, piqued my attention and then he's got an interesting story about you know how he got into the military and how he left the military and and some of the the trials and tribulations that he faced Um, good interview Joe Kramer um, currently resides in Fort Collins and we appreciate him coming on so let's sit back and have a listen and uh, we'll see you on the other side everybody we have here today Joe Kramer Um, I first heard you on the hockey think tank we had the hockey think tank guys on our podcast and as you can imagine that was very entertaining you know so you have you you have you have a lot to live up to not really Um, (laughs) but they were very entertaining we like to have people from the outside to you know come come share some of their experiences uh, with us here um and not just fire service folks that give us you know you know pictures through one lens and things like that so that's why I asked you on got to hold you by email I actually got your email through Topher uh scott at the hockey think tank and um you know so I'm happy to have you on here I, I just I, I enjoyed the the hockey think tank episode that you did and thought you could you know we could discuss leadership and military stuff and and fire stuff and kind of weave everything together and see how they're different you see how they're the same and things like that
1: yeah i always uh, i like i always like to say that uh, the fire department uh, when you when you break it down it's really about two things it's about people and problem solving and uh, you can't do that very well without leadership without resiliency without training without education and so you know good reason why we look all over the place to find um, more to uh, ways to add more value to to our fire department so i'm glad you're here as well and Um, like I said to you once before, just a little while ago, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing about your past and your military past, West Point, um, and your journey. Yes.
0: Yeah. So why don't we start off with that? Why don't you tell us about your journey? Tell us, you know, um, I know you have a, you know, had a early in life, you had a a connection with Fort Carson and that's kind of what perked up my ears. So tell us about your journey. Tell us how you got to today.
2: Okay. Um, well I guess I'll I'll start at Fort Carson. Um s- that being some of my, my earliest memories growing up. Um my dad was um stationed at Fort Carson. He was a an uh A team leader for uh in tenth Special Forces Group down there. Um and so my earliest memories of my dad is you know, he was the coolest you know, he was badass, and (laughs) that's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and then growing up, um, you know, I, I, I found out obviously that he had gone to West Point, um, and served as an army officer. And so I sort of wanted to follow in his footsteps and go to West Point, um, you know, possibly, um, follow his footsteps, um, you know, into special forces as well. Um, As I continued to grow up and mature, um, you know, my reasons became a little bit more nuanced and, um, you know, I really did feel um, the call to serve my country. Um, You know, growing up, um, we got to move all over the world. Um, I lived in Zagreb, Croatia for a year. Um, We lived in Germany. Uh, for another three years, uh, and so just seeing the the opportunities uh, that I was exposed to as a kid, just you know being in a military family, I sort of wanted to do that for myself in the army as well, um, and so I ended up graduating high school in, in Omaha, Nebraska, um, and I was playing U uh, eighteen AAA hockey at the time, so ev- everywhere. We moved I was playing hockey um, I, I learned to skate uh, in Fort Carson as well um, and then from uh, Nebraska I went into uh, the US Military Academy at West Point and uh, I spent four years there uh, I played on the ACHA Division two team there um, and then graduated in 2016 as uh, a second lieutenant and an ordnance officer. Um, served just under two years as, as an officer. Um, my hearing was kind of a recurring uh, red flag that kept coming up. Um, and so the the Army ultimately decided to, to give me a medical discharge in 2018. So, um that put me at a little bit of a crossroads because all of a sudden the, the thing that I'd wanted to do my whole life, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, my family and I moved up to Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, and we've been we've we've moved around a little bit, um, you know, renting and, and and now having bought a, a house. Um, but we're still in, in the northern Colorado area. Um, and uh since starting the the role that i'm in now i've actually been promoted into a leadership position again so i'm getting i'm have an opportunity to to knock the rust off um of some of the experiences and things that i learned in the army um and then i'm also uh pursuing uh an mba from from colorado state and uh yeah i I, I could say more, but I, I feel like that might be a good place to, to leave it. <laughs> what, what,
1: what are you doing now?
2: Uh, so I work, uh, in the commercial operations, uh, for a company called Innative. Um, they, they do research work with, um, pharmaceutical companies to bring like new treatments and stuff into the market. Um, I, not having a science background I, I don't do any of the science stuff i'm strictly involved kind of on the the business side of um you know once we we have clients that are interested in um you know our our services um i my my team is sort of the uh connector between when they've agreed to a to a quote that we've sent them um and then getting that over to our operations folks to actually start the work.
1: Yeah, do you mind if I touch on something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. So it, here's what's really interesting for me is I'm I'm listening to you talk about, you know, this background of being at West Point and being an o- army officer. Um, and then unfortunately you had to leave that world and now you're in a completely different field in a leadership position. And what I was thinking about the whole time is and I've said this in my career, there's been times where I'm like, What would I do if I got out of here? Like I've got like I'm a firefighter. This is what I do, you know, I don't have anything else. Um mm-hmm. But you know, as I kind of move through different positions in the fire department, what I see is we've got these skills you know, that we acquire just from doing the job. And whether we have the background, the educational background to support it or not, I think we really do have this experience that translates into the civilian world somewhere. And really that's what you're speaking about. So I think for our people you know, on the fire department side, it's good to know that you know, we may be firefighters first and that's what we think we are. But we do have a lot of people that are leaving the job and going out on medicals. And we've got this, you know, experience that we can really use somewhere to do something really great with. Um, and that's kind of what I hear you saying.
2: Absolutely, and I, I think I was fortunate too, um, because um, my boss, who's the one that, that uh, made the decision to hire me, um, told me that that they were looking for People who had certain—you you might even call them soft skills—but mm-hmm. um, just people that were, you know, kind of passionate about learning. Um, you know, humble in the sense that they didn't think they knew everything, but also confident, um, you know, in the in the abilities that they do have. Um, and they weren't necessarily looking for, um, you know, someone that checked the boxes in terms of like actual job experience to the role, it was a, a situation where they're like, they can, we can train all that. We just want the right person culturally, um, to fit in. So like, I, I feel very fortunate that, um, you know, uh, that's the environment that I came into because I know that's not always the case. Um, but I do think it, it, it speaks to that, you know, um, you know, whether it's, fire military you know you you do develop these skills that you can really put into practice anywhere um and i i would say that people that that serve whether it's you know in a fire station or or in the military um i think we're pretty good at picking up new jobs and new skills because um i know at, at least from my service i had to wear a lot of hats and learn a lot of things that weren't necessarily, um, you know, what I thought would be my job um, going into it, so. Yeah,
1: You, you say that a lot about, you know, kind of the fire department, the people we hire. It's like, well, we can teach most people to do the job of firefighter, but we can't teach everybody accountability and integrity and how to be a good person. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so, yeah, we're looking for applicants. Um, we're looking for, you know, not only people that maybe have experience, but even people without experience that, you know, have the moral and ethical standards that we've created for our organization and will fit into our culture. Um, and you can tell pretty quick, you know, who the, who those people are, you know, and those are the ones we want to bring in. Um, we teach them the fundamentals, and they they blossom and they run with them and you know we get great leaders great followers um, great learners out of all that and so yeah I, agree, I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about resiliency because obviously you, you had this dream that you had in your mind um, you know you want to be like your dad and, and dads are very important in, in most of our lives right and um, there are mentors our coaches um, our role models throughout our, our, young lives. So, you know, I understand exactly where you're coming from. Um, how did you work through that? I mean, obviously you were disappointed. Um, what did you do? How did you feel and what did you do and what support did you need to work through that?
2: Um, I, it was, it was very difficult, uh, especially at first. Um, and you know, I, I guess, because of the process that, that I kind of went through, you know, obviously, um, you know, I don't know <laughs> if uh, if this is a similarity that, you know, the fire service and military share, but um, you know, typically board processes um, aren't quick. Um, they tend to be kind of drawn out. So I, I sort of knew I was getting out of the army for quite a while um, and you know, I had tried to fight it early on. Um, but, uh, by the time I was getting out, I was sort of in the mindset, like, I, I just want to get out and sort of move forward. Um, you know, I, I think a couple things helped. One was, you know, I still had, a, a responsibility and an obligation to my family that, you know, I needed to move forward and, and find something else, um, you know, to, to provide for my family. Um, and then you know the other piece of it was realizing that um you know just because i wasn't in uniform doesn't mean that i couldn't still serve in some aspect um it just might look different um and I, i i find myself kind of thinking back on that now especially being in in a leadership role again is um you know, I'm not necessarily doing certain tasks within the organization. You know, I'm actually kind of a steward now of, um, you know, leading and taking care of people and helping them grow and develop, um, and you know, reaching their potential and their goals. Um, so.
0: Yeah, and we, you know, what I find here is that. Now that I'm at the chief level and I'm in the training division, my job isn't necessarily to train everybody, but it's to support the people that support the people that train the people. Um, So I'm kind of removed from where the rubber meets the road. And I I have some not very comfortable with that all the time um, because I like to teach and I like to interact with people. But um, Mm -hmm. I also like to support those folks and make sure that they're successful. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about.
2: I think another thing that kind of helped, too, is um, once I was in, in the army, hockey kind of went on a back burner because I was you know, focused on on the army and trying to, to be as good of an officer as I could be um, for the soldiers that I was leading. Um, but being out of the army sort of allowed me an opportunity to reengage competitive hockey and, um, I don't want to say necessarily fall in love with it again because I never stopped loving it, but just sort of having it rekindled Mm -hmm. of, you know, being some, being around something that I act, I do really love and I'm passionate about. Um, and, you know, kind of having it be an outlet outside of, you know, family and, and work and everything that also, um, was a big help too.
1: I think we try to push that message in the fire department of uh, making sure that people have that other thing in their life, um, you know, for a lot of different reasons. One is, you know, you have a bad day on the fire department, you know, just like the military, and, you know, you feel like your world, world is crumbling and falling apart. If you don't have anything else, you don't have that other leg to keep you up, then, you know, it can put you in a really bad spot. Um, I know that throughout my career, Um, The times where I don't have that other thing in my life that I'm passionate about, um, you know, I do feel a little bit off, you know, so it's good to have, kind of have those other things. And some people call it balance. I've kind of been struggling with that lately going, you know, I don't know if it's true. I I guess it is a balance, but I don't think it has to be even. Um, You know, I think there's different times in our career where we, um, one side's gonna weigh, way heavier than the other. So I, I guess for me, I look at it, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not, in balance right now. But right now, this is where my focus needs to be. Um, so it's it's good to hear that when you were going through that, that troubling time that you had that that something else in your life to get you through it. But then also you said, you know, it's funny, like the the military makes it so long that by the time you're done, you're like, just get me out of here. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's, almost like, it's almost like it's designed that way. They're like, all right, we're going to make this really easy on you by making you suffer for the next couple of years. And you're going to want to be done. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's nice, too. Like, it, and we talked to, to Topher and Jeff, and, and, and Josh talks a lot about living with purpose. And so you had that other purpose. You know, you had your family and you had, you know, you, you rediscovered hockey and that, you know, helped you have more purpose. I think so many people leave the fire department and they just don't know where to go next. So they essentially lose their purpose and that's scary and they don't know, they don't know what's going to happen next and the uncertainty that goes along with that. So it's, it's, you know, nice to hear that you had purpose and you you, you found some grounding in that and it gave you a reason to keep, keep moving forward.
2: Well, that's, um, I guess part of why I've, I've, enjoyed, you know, I enjoy being on here. I, I, I've enjoyed, um, other podcasts that I've been on to sort of, you know, talk about, you know, I, I achieved my goal. I, you know, I did what I wanted to do in my life. I went to, you know, West Point, I became an army officer. Um, and then it all sort of went away very quickly. Um, and, you know, I had, I had to shift gears and, you know, here I am. And, um, you know, I may not be exactly where I want to be, but I'm on the way. Um and I hope that can help, especially people who might be leaving, you know, either whether it's fire service, whether it's the military, because I I've I've seen it too where I've seen um veterans struggle sort of to remove their own identity from that of their service. Um and I, I think Veterans that are able to kind of make that transition successfully are ones that, no matter what they did, you know they they're proud and you know they might share varying right. levels of their service, um, but it doesn't define who they are. Um, you know they they're, they're able to separate I- that identity, and so. Um, yeah, you know, I, I do think it is scary when when people can't do that, because I think, um, you know, they're they're setting themselves up for a very challenging time. So you
0: told a story on the hockey think tank about rubber balls and glass balls. That and I was hoping awesome. you just kind of relay that and kind of just just tell the story and, and you know, the reason behind it, um, I just it was valuable. So it was something that I wanted, you know, our folks to hear. So I'll just hand the mic to you and you can kind of explain that, that premise. Yeah, of course.
2: Um, so glass balls and, and rubber balls is a, a concept that I was first introduced to, um, while I was at West point, um, because a lot of people like to, to bring up the fact that while you're there, um, you're going to be given more than 24 hours worth of stuff to do and expected to somehow manage to get it all done in 24 hours. (laughs) Um, you know, whether it's, it's sleep, academics, sports, um, you know, your, your leadership responsibilities, um, as a cadet. Um, and so what, uh, I can't remember who it was that shared, you know, this, um, concept, but essentially, um, anyone in, in their life has glass balls and rubber balls. And so what, um, what they symbolize is that the glass balls are the things that if you drop it, it'll shatter. You can't pick it back up. You can't, you know, it's not going to be a ball ever again. Like that, that's it. Um, and so those are things that, those are obligations or commitments that if you drop them, if you don't follow through, will have significant detrimental impact in your life. Um, Whereas rubber balls are obligations or things that um, may not require immediate attention so that, you know, if you drop it, if you, you know, miss that commitment or obligation, It'll bounce. You can pick it right back up and there won't necessarily be those, um, you know, dramatic negative consequences um, and you can kind of keep moving forward. And so um, the reason they shared that is to sort of, you know, when you're given more things than you have hours in a day, you have to prioritize. And so being able to go through what all is on your to-do list And identify, you know, these three or however many, these are the glass balls, these are the things that I have to do to be successful, to move forward. And then these are the things that I can put off for now. Um, And, you know, that that helped me as as a cadet to prioritize, um, you know, what I needed to get done on any particular day or week. Um, and I, it's a concept that I still go back to even today, you know, balancing work and, uh, being a husband, being a father, um, you know, going back to school, playing hockey, I have, um, you know, a lot of obligations and commitments with a lot of different people. And so, um, having that framework, uh, really helps things in order of importance um, and, you know, help me not feel completely overwhelmed and lost um, in a situation where it would be very easy to do so.
0: Sure. Sure. And and I know the answer to this question, but how many kids do you have?
2: I have four. <laughs> and they're all ages of what? Uh, they're all... Five and under right now. <laughs> our, our oldest, <laughs> oldest is five. We have uh, twin, uh, four-year-olds and uh, uh, almost two-year-old. And I
0: and I and I only bring that up be- because of how busy just having kids, let alone four kids under the age of five, and twins <laughs> and twins, and, and, twins. Yes. <laughs> and it's not going to get any better. I mean, you're going to have to you know utilize those skills. You know, moving forward, so some simple thing that you learned at, at, you know, the military academy um, at West Point is something that you're going to apply in your life, probably for the rest of your life, you know, and as you Mm -hmm. retire, it'll be, you know, you know, where do I go fishing? Is that a rubber ball or a glass ball? But for right (laughs) now, you know, you've got hockey, you've got work, you've got kids, you know, Um, you know, you've got your wife, you've got people that need you. Um, from work and all over life and you've got to, to juggle all that and it's not going to get any slower.
1: I'm glad right. you didn't say the kid part first and then tell the story because I would have been picturing the concept being, okay, some of my kids are glass and some are rubber. Which one can I throw down and which one can, <laughs> do I have to hold? <laughs> like, which one's going to break? <laughs> so I'm glad we did that in that order. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah>. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see where my mind goes. Oh. Uh,
0: how does that, I mean, you've got five five kids and obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, you know, I, I, think a difference here. So, um, one of our, um, retired guy that we have on the, still on the job, um, he is uh, one of our drivers. Took a medical retirement, and now is one of our recruiters. And uh, I think um, Jerome's got five kids too. Yeah. And I remember him one day telling me when they went from two to three, his wife and I. He's a football fan, and he's like, "Yeah, I just realized I had to go from man to man, or we had to go from man to man to zone defense." And I'm yeah, like, yeah. "Oh man!" <laughs> and you know, and that's kind of what you know what you're probably doing. And I'm not a big sports guy, but I related to that, and. Um, you know, I, I think it's just uh, for us, it might have been a little bit different. We just had every two years, we we had another child. And, you know, so we would just kind of start over again. So ours is more of a long haul than, you know, having I'm just picturing you with four kids and then having one in each arm at the same age. And <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot. So Joe, I wanted to jump in, I want to go back to uh, some of the things that you learned at West Point. Um, and then try to translate that into real world. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is because that's always been something that it, it it's just been, it's a hard concept for me to, you know, to make that transition. It's like, I got all this information rolling around in my head and how do you make it applicable? How do you apply it? And I had a conversation, one of the um, people on our job, he was a 10th group guy, um, went to Army Ranger School and being prior military, I knew that Ranger School was one of the kind of premier leadership schools that you can go to. And so I asked him, I'm like, what is it about Ranger School? That makes it such a good leadership academy or a leadership school. And and he said something similar to what you were talking about on the other podcast. Was he's like, well, you never know when you're going to be in a leadership position, um, and so you got this group of people that are all there for the same purpose, focused on the same goals, given the same mission, and they don't know when they're going to be in a leadership position. So everybody's focused, um, you know. And so you talked about that same concept. Um, are you able to look at you know what you learned, um, what West Point did for you, and then how does that translate into applying it?
2: Yeah, um, and, and it's. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, at, at West Point, one of the uh, the summer training exercises, um, and most cadets will either go through it. Um, the summer before their junior or their senior year, so after they've had a couple years of experience under their belt. Um, But we go through a a summer training that is modeled very closely after ranger school to get get at that, you're all here for the same purpose, but then, yeah, kind of throwing that curveball of you never know when it's going to be your turn at the plate to actually take charge and, you know, um, lead the mission. Um, but I think that experience in particular, and I mean, over the course of four years, um, I can think of, you know, plenty of other examples, um, of just, uh, I I think I talked about it on the hockey think tank as well is just, um, my time at West Point forced me to, um, reframe my relationship with failure. Um, you know, going into West Point and and growing up, I had sort of basically become accustomed to being afraid of failure. Um, not losing so much in, in like a athletic sense. You know, I, I, it's weird that they weren't, necessarily in parallel, you know, I feel like when it came to academics and stuff, I was very afraid to get a bad grade and and something like that. Whereas, um, you know, in sports, I very much had a, you know, if we lost that sucked. Um, but I would always look at it through, you know, what, what did I do wrong or what could I improve next time? Um, and so I wasn't necessarily afraid of losing. I always saw it as, you know, a a learning opportunity. Um, I think West, what West Point did was kind of forced that mindset to everything. Um, and that, um, you can't, you couldn't be afraid to fail because that usually meant that, um, you wouldn't take the initiative or, or do the things that you need to do, um, to be a successful leader. And I had a couple of, um, you know, instructors and and officers there um, who would refer to West Point as being a leadership laboratory and that they would prefer that you fail while you're at West Point. So that way you don't fail when you're out in the real army. Um, And I think what they were trying to get at is, um, you know, take risks you know, try things out, um, and, and fail, you know, try a certain leadership approach, style. Um, and if it doesn't work, that's okay. Um, and then learn from it, um, and don't see it as something that you need to be afraid of. Um, and so I think that's something else that, that stuck with me since I've left the army is just, you know, not being afraid to take risks or take chances because um you know at the end of the day it's it's probably not going to kill you or you know (laughs) be super detrimental um and if it if it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to um then you you just adjust and um you know keep refining and keep moving forward
0: do it do they create a culture that is accepting a failure or recognizes failure as a lesson and an opportunity for growth? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, Where you don't go, oh, I failed, oh well, and you you just move on, but oh, I failed, let's use this as an opportunity to to get better.
2: Um, It it would would sort of vary by situation and I think the folks involved. I, I think what they were looking for, um, and m- maybe failure isn't quite the right word, but making mistakes, um, but doing it with, uh, um, a bias towards action, I would say, yeah, you know, if you were actively trying to do something, if you were you know, making mistakes, by trying things out, um, that was encouraged. Um, you know, what, what they didn't want to see was people just kind of sitting back being passive, being reactive. Um, because, you know, I think this kind of goes back to, um, the point you were bringing up as far as having all this information, but then not doing anything with it. And so I think um, you know that's that's what they were trying to to break is sitting back, trying to take in information and not doing anything with it. What they were trying to do is get people to take action. and if you mess up, it's okay. But then what you need to do is see where you went wrong and then fix it for next time.
0: You know, you said you told a story on the Think Tank, uh, you know, about a mission. You were leading the mission and you had radio issues and you, you know, you told, hey, this is this is the mistake I made. What did you do the next time? You know, and I don't know if you want to set it up by telling the story so you they, people have the context to it. But then, you know, what did you do on the next mission? You know, and how did that help okay, you grow? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I think I got a little uh, long winded on the Think Tank, the hockey <laughs> Think Tank. Um, so I'll try and, uh, keep it a little bit more brief, but essentially, um, while I was at West Point during, um, you know, this particular summer training exercise that's modeled after ranger school, it was my turn to lead the mission. Um, and for probably 75 to 80% of the mission, things went not necessarily smoothly, but they were going well. Um, and we were sort of returning back to base. Um, and I kind of had the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and, um, we ended up being ambushed by the opposing forces and, um, I was having radio issues. So I, um, was getting a little overwhelmed and panicked because I couldn't communicate with, um, you know, my subordinate leaders to try and, um, you know, respond to this attack. Um, And I I, kind of fell victim to that. Um, I didn't know what to do, and I kind of froze. And so one of the the officers who was observing um, pulled me aside and told me that, You know, in certain situations like this, sometimes all you need to do is. Charge forward and say, follow me. And just by, you know, kind of taking that initiative and taking that first step towards action. um, You'll get there eventually. And so, um, you know, after he said that to me. I did that and you know, it wasn't great, but we, we finished the mission. Um, you know, I, I, I got a decent review afterwards. Um, but what that helped me, um, with is when I was out in the real army in a similar, uh, training exercise, um, we again got attacked by, uh, the opposing forces. Um, and for, a brief period of time, I waited because I was one of the most junior people there um, in terms of experience and just years in service. So I was waiting because I was like, "Okay, I'm going to wait for one of my senior leaders to give me direction and go execute." Um, but it didn't happen. I didn't. I didn't receive any guidance or any orders. Um, and you know, if anything, I sort of witnessed them having that freeze up moment. And so I just returned to my guys and I just kind of laid out the situation. I was like, you know, this is where they are. Here we are. This is what we need to do. Um, and just kind of laid out a very basic, um, you know, plan of attack in that, Half my guys would bound up and, you know, move forward while the second half kind of provided covering fire. Um, and then once they got down and were set, then we would bound forward. Um, and so just having that bias towards action again, because once we started moving forward and doing that, everyone else followed our lead and, Again, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't pretty, but we, you know, pushed off the the opposing forces and kind of continued on with the rest of our mission. But, um, you know, that, that first situation was an instance where, you know, I froze up and failed, and then um, I was able to take what I learned from that and then apply it and be more successful When it happened to me again in the future
1: i love it that it reminds me of something i learned early on in my fire department career i had a battalion chief by the name of uh chief lorich and when i was newer on the job he kind of put me in a position where you know the answer was make a decision i can't remember the exact scenario Um, but basically his point was you got to make a decision you got to do something and then from there reevaluate and either adjust or continue on or, um, you know, make an, make another decision. And it sounds kind of like that's the, the model that you're talking about. Make a decision, take an action, uh, you know, do something. And then once that gets started, that's going to get that ball rolling to help push you down the path you want to go.
0: Yeah, and I love the fact that, you know, you're using mistakes. I mean, I think that I, I like, I guess I like that, that, description better than failure. Like you're, you're making mistakes. And sometimes, um, when we make mistakes, we're afraid to admit them because we're afraid of how other people are going to react to them, you know, and, and having the AR and the hot washes after our incidents, just like the the military does, it allows, you know, provides that opportunity for everybody to talk about things that went well, things that didn't go well without repercussion or without, you know, punishment or ridicule from your, from your peers. And, um, it, it seems like that um, provides the best learning because it puts them in a position of comfort, a position of safety, and then um, they're not afraid to necessarily make it, do action because they're afraid of making mistakes and uh, things like that. So, I, I mean, I like that. I like how the military teaches that, and I think it's something we can use, use in the fire service.
1: Yeah, and I think it kind of it really puts together – an answer for the question. I guess my original question um, was, how do we take the knowledge that we have and turn that into experience? And maybe that's, you know, where the answer falls. It's like, well, you take all this knowledge that you have rolling around in your head. um, When something comes up, you make a decision, you take an action. um, And then when it doesn't work out the way that it was supposed to, that's where that learning comes in. But taking that first step and doing it is, you know, that's the applicable part. And then being accepting of and willing to take ownership, accountability, and learn from whatever that was. And then maybe over time, you know, maybe that's how it all comes together.
0: Yeah. Uh, we're, we often try here to, to um, create or value th- what we call thinking firefighters. Um so we allow our leaders and our firefighters to look at the incident and allow the incident to say, hey, this is what it needs to be done to, to put out the fire or, you know, finish the medical, that type of thing. Um, and, and people kind of struggle with that because they, they want the black and white. Can you talk a little bit about the military? And I'm sure there's a lot of black and white in the military, but also, you know, how do you look at the mission, you know, and use all those skills that you, you've were taught over the years to be that thinking military officer or that thinking infantryman or or that type of thing by allowing the mission to tell you uh, what it needs to be, you know, overcome.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I would say a a lot, you know, there are um, (laughs) a lot of, um, like military planning tools, um, that we're exposed to, um, And, uh, you know, I think one of the key elements is sort of having that, you know, there there are certain, like, basic things um, that that the military tries to achieve to get sort of that um, creative but also, like, cohesive um, teamwork and, you know, mission planning and execution. Um, And part of it stems through everybody going through basically the same, um, you know, initial experience of, um, you know, a basic training, um, you know, everyone has to qualify with their different weapon systems. You know, there's, there's a core knowledge that everyone has. And, you know, so everyone's sort of on the same page there, um, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but what, The, um, and then there's also, you know, basic fundamentals of various things, whether it's, you know, fundamentals of marksmanship, um, you know, there are certain, um, you know, situations, um, you know, in combat where you rely on very simple battle drills that, you know, if you're going into a building you know, the first person in is doing this, the second person in does this, third person, and, you know, and everyone knows that, um, you know, if you're ambushing the enemy um, and you're using a cert- certain type of setup, you know, there's stages of what you have to do. Um, but also, um, I think what what the army is trying to achieve. And, uh, you know, I I think because the army is an organization of, of people and people aren't perfect, um, you know, you don't always see perfect applications of this. Um, but there is this, uh, idea to try and push, um, you know, the ownership of decisions down to lower levels, um, so that, People in those situations can, can read the situation and then react to it, um, you know, as opposed to having to wait, ask someone higher above them in, in rank or position, um, and just sort of, kind of, um, you know, the the bog down and, and mire that, that that can get you, um, that can get you sucked into. Yeah, I think
1: for us on on the fire department, um, I'm in the middle of uh, going teaching the fire officer one class right now and you know we talk a little bit in fire officer one about centralized versus decentralized command and it, and mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're alluding to really is pushing that decision making down giving that authority giving that responsibility down to a lower level and allowing them to make those decisions um, but the other thing that you said is you talk about those basic skills um you know and that's the foundation of everything that we do we went mm-hmm. through a period a few years back where we, so we called it back to the basics. Um, We had a chief that said, Hey, we're getting back to the basics as an organization. And I think that did a lot of good for us. Um, You know, because what, what I'm hearing you say is when you have those foundational things down to where you can do them without thinking about them, it does allow you to open your mind and see what, you know, see the bigger picture instead of getting that tunnel vision of, Oh no, I'm, you know, how do I open my nozzle? You know, how do I perform that operation with my rifle? Um, you know, I still remember I've been out of the military for a long time, but the concept of sports, right? Um, slap, pull, observe, release, tap, squeeze. like yep. I'll never forget yep. that. It's because I did it so many times. And But that applies to what we do in the fire department. It's like, why are you still forcing doors? Well, because I want to be able to do it without thinking about it.
2: Well, and something, too, um, that, that my dad kind of impressed upon me, too, um, being, you know, special forces and kind of that elite status of, you know, a soldier, um, he would always say and, and try to impress upon me is that, um, you know, being elite And, and, you know, you could really, I think, apply this to anything and being elite doesn't mean, you know, you do crazy wazoo things compared to everyone else. He's like, what it means is you can do the basic fundamentals, all of them better than anyone else.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah. And being elite doesn't mean you've arrived you know, it, well, it doesn't mean oh, you're yeah, done. Absolutely. Yeah. It's no. not like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm elite now. Like I don't have to do it anymore. Guess what? Now, now you got to keep it up. Now you got to continue. Now you got to keep working harder. Yeah. Joe, I really appreciate the time. I mean, especially now knowing, you know, you've got four kids that are probably, you know, <laughs> wondering where's dad after a long day work. And um, <laughs> it's been, it's been really great to hear um, your story um, hearing a little bit more about um, hockey um, hearing about your leadership journey, West Point, your dad being a military person, your connection here to Colorado Springs—I've um, been looking forward to this conversation. Um, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and, and speaking with us. So, thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much for having me, and um, you know, I'm glad to be here and share my story. And I, you know, I, I hope it, it helps at least one person.
0: Yeah I mean I, I, you know I think you can pull a lot out of our conversation. I mean there's a lot of learning that, that goes on and um, you know I got, I got more out of the conversation than I think I was hoping for, so I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for your service. Um, go CSU. Is it Go Rams? <laughs> Thank you. Are you coaching or are you playing? Uh,
2: I am uh, playing oh. actually. Um, I'm well, I'm the backup goalie. Uh, cause this year for tryouts, our division two team only had one goalie come out. So, uh, I, I told our coach, I, I hadn't planned on coming back to coach or to play, uh, this year cause I, I injured my knee pretty good yeah. <laughs> a few, several months ago, but, um, I was like, I'll, I'll come in and I'll be the backup goalie. And so,
0: <laughs> okay, well, so you're a little bit crazy too. Full
1: little bit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> our, quick, quick go, question. Go ahead. Ruck on. Is that, is that, what is that? Is that, is that it, your email address? I saw that somewhere. I mean, oh, I, I, I know the it, concept it, of Ruck on, you know, but is, what is Ruck on? Is that something that you're doing or?
2: Yes. I, I mean, it's kind of circling back to the, the glass balls and rubber balls. Um, Ruck on has become a bit of a, of a rubber ball. And, and maybe not necessarily a rubber ball. I'm just sort of changing the focus or the emphasis on it. Um, but w- what that is, is, um, what it started off as me just sort of sharing, um, my thoughts as I started rucking and I was kind of getting back into fitness, um, after I left the military. Um, and then it spiraled into, um, you know, me, Going on to Instagram, Facebook, having that ruck on account, um, and trying to help other people because I had people reach out and ask about, you know, what is rucking? You know, how can I get involved with it? And um, and so it was a way to, to share information, and then also, um, you know, I, I, I've I've re- referred to, I guess, the the resilience that I had in leaving the military as as a ruck on mindset as just, you know, I had an objective that I was rucking to and now the objectives changed and, you know, I just have to keep moving forward towards it. Um, I've set up a couple of, you know, virtual rucking challenges, um, you know, to help support, uh, some veteran nonprofit groups. Um, but uh, that, that's that's sort of what I've I've turned down now just so, because I don't have the time and I've what I've been trying to do is just share more of like my day to day and sort of how I'm living that like ruck on mentality. Um, so that's really yeah. good. Is it
1: still open? Is the account still open?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's still active on. That's actually my most active account on on Instagram um, and Facebook and everywhere. So people can just um, search
1: it under ruck on and uh they should find it.
2: Yeah, ruck on ventures. Ruck on
0: ventures. So awesome. so tell me what what's rucking? I don't know what that is. <laughs> so share with me.
2: Uh walking walking with weight is the simplest <laughs> way to put it. Um you know, obviously in the military you get issued a rucksack um and that's essentially what you put all of your other issued items into and Um, when you go out, um, for training exercises and stuff, you usually rucking around, um, with your rucksack. Um, and so, um, I realized after getting out of the military that it's also just a great way to, to stay in shape because, um, you know, you're walking, but you also have that, that added sort of strength training. Um, you know, it, it helps with your posture. There's a whole bunch of Positive benefits to it when you're doing it correctly. Um, oh,
0: no. so I have a weighted vest that I use when I'm walking, so I'm actually rucking when I do that. Yes, maybe, yes. maybe. Well, yeah. <laughs> See, I saw that I,
1: look I, on your face. You're I, like,
2: "Well, <laughs> I was gonna say, I, I, I have, I've seen that debate come up: is is walking with a weighted vest the same as rucking? I." I think it's good because, you know, (laughs) I think it achieves, you know, some of the similar, you know, you're just adding, um, you know, kind of the amount of work that your body's doing. Um, but I think having the rucksack adds it and thankfully having some basic engineering classes at West point, I can see this in my head, but having the, the weight all distributed, on your back adds in some mechanics that your body has to adjust for that it doesn't have to adjust for if you just have the weighted vest on
0: got it so i'm not quite as badass as i thought <laughs> do, you with, do you end
2: up with you end up with i don't know if i've ever had to think about it <laughs> do you
0: end up with kidney
1: burns after your uh, weighted vest no no okay no, it's all good <laughs> yeah no
0: maybe i should maybe i'll yeah. loosen it up or something. <laughs> well th- again thanks for your time we appreciate you coming on um thanks for what you do thanks for your service uh thanks to your family uh, and all they've done for our country appreciate you Um and we'll stay in touch. Yep. Thanks, Joe.
2: Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Good
0: night. You too, man. Have a good one.
3: I found that photo in sofa. And it's from way back in North. So I guess there's much I never told you Like who I am, who I love Where I've been and where I came from Grew up on 913 of Blue Rock Memories of six kids running around those halls And out in the California sunshine, we wore no shoes through alleys and shattered windows throwing baseballs. me a brown bag every day from five years old up to 18 i know that said i love you exo and all my friends they're begging me making bids on mom's fresh cookies. Jersey just tied